Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2021. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are... Tori, they, them. And not one, but two special guests for this episode. Hey, everybody. It's Vicky, him, from Megasheen. And it's Nick, also he, him, uh, from Megasheen. Now... You two co-run that podcast you just mentioned, Megasheen, together. And I think you might be the foremost Gem in the Holograms podcast on the internet right now, because other ones have dropped off, and you've done two episodes. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, but we have the receipts, so we, we know our Gem stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yes, we do. That's good. But no, actually, Megasheen's not a dedicated gem podcast, right? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Uh, Megasheen, well, we started in, what, 2016, I think? Yeah. Um, and we're a, a bi-weekly podcast that we discuss uh, gay and geek culture from a queer, black, cis, male perspective. And we've talked about X-Men movies. We've talked to porn stars. We've talked to uh, directors, um, anything that runs the gamut from what we up for geek culture. And we've been, you know, doing it for a while. Yeah. Yeah, wow. That's cool. What's your favorite yeah. X-Men movie? <laughs> Is uh, I don't have a favorite X-Men movie. <laughs> oh, dear. I have a favorite X- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, That's there's different enough. parts of X-Men movies that I like, but mm, we'll see what uh, Disney and Marvel do with the X-Men. True. I, I don't have a favorite, but the one that I would I don't mind watching is X2. I was going to say, like, that's probably my favorite also, even though as a, you know, Nightcrawler fan from childhood, I, I can't quite love it. It's yeah. okay. Yeah, it's the best of the worst. <laughs> yeah. Totally agree. Uh, well, I lured you two onto this podcast, though, to talk about a gem in the holograms fanfic, because I, I ran into your more recent gem-related episode, which was kind of a retrospective on, was it the 25th anniversary of the show? It's the 30th. Was it? It was, 30? it was like the 25th. 30? Oh, yeah. wow. No, because, yeah, it came out in 85 originally. It was... Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. No, Jem is older than me. I should have known that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but can you two tell us a little bit about your relationship with Jem and the holograms? Like, what's your background? When did you get into it, or how, or whatever? Victor, you want to go first? I'll go. Um, well, I grew up with it. Um, my sister, like when it came out, it was like such a big deal, and I remember the commercials. And I was already excited for it. And I, was, I was like, what is this? This is going to be something else. Because I was already watching Transformers and G.I. Joe. But this was something that kind of spoke to my queerness as a kid. Because, um, you know, it was fashion. It was music. And then, you know, the commercials kept running back and forth, back and forth. And then the dolls were coming out. And I remember, you know, when I started watching the, the cartoon, I was like, this is like a soap opera that my grandmama watched. Like, but it was, it was kind of yeah. like... 
explained <laughs> how they were telling a story. And I was like, oh my God, I'm really concerned about all these women. And, you know, it was, it was so 80s, the way it was set up to where it was like, you know, she's taking care of these, uh, these foster kids and Synergy and all this stuff. And then the misfits, and it was just so much that I loved about it that I just watched it. And my sisters ended up getting the dolls and I saw the posters and I was like, oh my God, it, it kind of inspired me to want to be a fashion designer at the time um, where I was literally like drawing and designing and everything else. And I was going to go into design. Um, I didn't um, in college, but I did win a scholarship for fashion. And I remember they asked me what was a, what was some of my uh, you know influences? And I was like, jamming holograms. And it was like, what's that? And I was like, oh, wow. you know, it was just something <laughs> where it just really sparked my interest. And really, you know, when you think about it, we didn't have a type of storytelling coming from cartoons this way. So it was really, really exciting for me. And to this day, it's it's still very it's close to my heart. I know for me in the eighty, I was born in eighty six, so it had, it was already out during when I was born. So I was introduced to it, I think around 89. Uh, and that time I was about to move from Chicago to Kentucky. And uh, back in the day, uh, USA Network was doing, um, actually showing cartoons. I, I think it was the USA Express. Um, and I was watching reruns of it and I was like, what is this? This is you know, they had the fashion, they had the music, they had the uh, the danger. Um, and I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of cool. This is cute. Um, and I just, it's something about it that, like Victor said, it spoke to my uh, queerness and it actually made me, it helped me come to terms with uh, being gay. And to this day, like I'm still, I still have the box set of the DVDs when it came out. I still have some of the VHSs. I still have some uh, of the episodes when my mom recorded it way back on a VCR. Uh, I still sing all of the songs. I still cry at some of the, song, uh, some of the mm-hmm. songs. It's just, it was one of those cartoons that solidified my childhood. And you know, I will always be grateful for Christy Marks and her vision of this, grown-ass cartoon for kids yeah that's a good way to put it like um i was born in 89 so like i did watch a lot of those 80s cartoons and i was aware of Jim, but i didn't actually i don't know it wasn't rerunning a lot when i was young or something i i missed seeing it for the most part i probably caught some episodes here and there but i did go back and watch it just recently and i was like i think I told Dom and Amato, like it scratches this itch I have to see these cool character designs, like change costumes a lot, which, you know, I think mm-hmm. that's part of that, that queer thing. Like, you know, it's very like their, their makeup is kind of drag, like their hair, you know, and it also <laughs> has, I don't know. I think Nick said like grown cartoon for kids. Like it's got very serious situations going on in relationship drama and stuff. I'm like kind of bummed out that I didn't get much of it as a kid because I feel like it it had the same thing that like Sailor Moon did for me where it talked about like you know real romantic relationships and like except Sailor Moon was way more idealized about it. Well, I was about to say that it, it, I 
the way hearing you talk about it makes me think of the way some 90s kids talk about Sailor Moon specifically, which doesn't have the same, like, um, same music focus, but it has still kind of like that real focus on female characters and a kind of storytelling that you didn't otherwise see and uh, people in, in different outfits, like, and uh, of course it had more direct queer content too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and like uh, the the grown up of it, like um, even in some of the songs, one of the uh, like deception, and I've talked about this on the podcast with Victor, like uh, that whole song just saying, "I never meant to lie to you," yada yada yada. I'm like, this is so grown up that you don't realize it until you know you're 20, 30, 40 years old. And the different storylines, you know, you had one uh, kid dealing with a drug problem. You had Riot and his uh, issues with his father. It was just something that you didn't see during the during those times, especially in a cartoon. Yeah, and the cool thing is, like, even you know, Jerica is running this uh, home for girls, like, and and they don't pull back from those girls, you know, the foster girls having problems and having struggles. Like the very first episode is about, uh, maybe it's the second one, one of the girls, Ashley steals from the house and then they have to, mm-hmm. she has to figure out how to how to make it up to them. And they have this whole like, oh, well we, they get together and they, all the girls decide how she can make it up to them, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that was like a really good model of, something we talk about now, you know, in teaching, like how we deal with punishment and it should be more centered on the community of the kids, right? Exactly. Or reparations yeah. rather, like it shouldn't be a punishment. And they did that in that show in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I just missed Jem as a kid and you know, I'm also not queer. And so maybe I saw a few episodes as a little kid and didn't call to me in the same way, but um, I, I, I'm more familiar with the IDW comics I was telling Victor earlier, because those came out more recently. But I did go back and rewatch a little bit before this, of course, and I watched the last episode, because this fanfic goes straight out of the last episode of the show. And I was kind of taken aback by, like, how heavy the emotional content was there with Bonnie and such, and, you know, Missing Parent and such, and it's it, it was a little bit striking. Yeah, you didn't get that kind of thing in, like, Gen 1 Transformers, or G.I. Joe, or He-Man. Yeah. Exactly. It was emotional content, right? Like in a cartoon geared at girls, but like that also appealed to plenty, plenty of other like queer people, right? So I feel like it was doing something. Yeah, you wouldn't get that in Transformers or G.I. Joe because it would be all about the action. It would be the, uh-huh. the boy cartoons and the fighting. And I think this was an early example. Jem was an early example of like what cartoons for girls could do. And like, obviously it should be a cartoon for everyone, but it was neat that it was about these women and their relationships mostly. Before we move on to the, the fanfic itself, I just want to plug your podcast again, because, you know, Nick, you said in passing, like you, you were just grateful to Christy Marks and, you know, the stuff that she did uh, making Gem and leading it up. And you two had an episode where you interviewed Christy Marks, right? Yes. yes, we did. That, I think that was one of my favorite episodes that we ever did. Yeah. And it was, I think, I was, when I first reached out to her, I was like, okay, she's never going to do this. She's too busy. She's like, I'm not doing no damn podcasts. 
<laughs> when she when she agreed, I you could not tell me nothing. I was like, we got Christy fucking Marks on this pod coming up on this podcast. This is gold. Um, and so when yeah. we actually interviewed her, you know, I was damn near in tears because here's a woman that helped me come to terms with who I was through a medium that I love. And, you know, I could have talked to her like the whole day, you know, as far as the songs that were used, the fashion, the storylines, the what if scenarios after the, the series concluded. It was just, it was a, just like an amazing experience for me. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm just as grateful that you two agreed to come on to our show and that we're getting a whole lot of gem expertise here that we otherwise would not have had. <laughs> and also, when I contacted you about coming on and I pitched you a few, a few fanfics I'd found, I always try to find fanfics that are, you know, well-regarded in the fan community. And so I found some things that had been recommended somewhere or other online. But you went straight for the longest one, uh, 60,000 words of fanfiction, more than that. So like a <laughs> short novel worth of fanfic. Yeah. And Nick, I, I don't know if you got through all of it, but Victor said he finished it too. And, you know, so did I, but I'm used to it. <laughs> I got through, I was getting up to the, the really the ending. And then I was like, oh uh -huh. shit, it's three o'clock. So let me, <laughs> why here? I was like, damn. <laughs> That's totally fair. Yeah. just means you get to hear how it ends from us. Okay. Yeah. We're like one of the only podcasts that requires homework from our guests, so. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what makes me most nervous about, you know, I, I've been asking lots of people to come on as guests lately, but every time I'm like, yeah, you'll have to read something first as a book club format. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, our, our fanfic this time is Our Time Is Now. It's, again, about a 62,000-word fanfic from about 2005. So by our standards, it's pretty recent. Um, I just couldn't find a whole lot of much older, well-regarded Gem and the Holograms fanfiction out there. I'll put a link to it up on fanfiction.net. It's by Aja, uh, I mean, or Aja, which is not my favorite Steely Dan song, but it's not bad. <laughs> um, the album is still is very good, though. It's a good album, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, this fanfic's a post-series continuation, so, like I mentioned before, it, it picks up, like, right at the end of the cartoon, like, the previous episode ends and this fanfic picks up. Okay, I didn't get, in my watching of Gem, because there's many episodes, I didn't get all the way to the end. How does the series end? The, the series ends with, um, Bonnie finding her real father. Mm, okay, yeah. With them. But also, you know, it, it kind of ties up some things because that's when Pizzazz has a truce with the holograms. So it's the misfits and holograms actually came together and had a truce for this moment. Everybody got to see Bonnie go away and it ended with Bonnie on the shoulders of her father going away, waving to everybody. Okay, so like basically where the holograms are is they're the misfit, they have a truce with the misfits, but um still i imagine there's some tension there at least the story implies that mm -hmm. i would imagine so i mean i think they just they just kind of agree not to attack each other right basically yeah because <laughs> truth be told the misfits should be in prison for those attempted murders uh yeah 
that they, they try to do. Yeah. Everybody should be Eric, Zipper, all of them should be Tech Rat. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, we do get some of that in this fanfic, which is funny though, because it's like it takes some of the things seriously that people should be in prison for in this, but then with the misfits, I guess we'll get there. We could talk about the fanfic first. Yeah. Well, does someone wanna start us out with kind of uh what the fanfic's trying to do early on, how it starts out, and uh, how it begins. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Um, so it, it's right um, during the time that Bonnie is going to going home with her real father, um, and um, it's interesting because it's a, where you kind of see where Jerrica is being pulled everywhere in a lot of ways because she's trying to deal with the fact of who she is, but also the fact that Bonnie's leaving. There's a lot of stuff going on. Aja takes her aside and you know they talk through the fact that it's been killing her being these people. It, it, it being two people, it, it also talks about how it's been three years. And when you think about it, it's like, yeah, it's been three years and all this stuff has happened. And it made me think about, I never thought of it that way, like, oh, three years of all this stuff. But yeah, and you think about Britney Spears when she first came out on the scene in three years, within three years, she already had another album out and all that stuff and how much stress that takes on a person. Um, so it kind of talked a little bit about that, but also it got into, um, you know, Rio's, you know, we get to hear how Rio feels about, you know, the situation is very adult in the way it talks about um, the relationships they've had, even sexual <laughs> situations. Um, we see how everybody is thinking through kind of what's happening now, like Possessed, realizing that it's time for them to move forward as a group. Um, she's working with um, Riot with a solo album, which I was kind of interested in, in knowing a little bit more about. But also we're seeing the decline of Eric um, Raymond, who is, it's very <laughs> fascinating because I never thought about, you know, what he was really going through. But as it was kind of breaking down, like the fact that he lost um, um, Starlight Music, the fact that he kind of lost management of Misfits and Misfits uh, music and then stinger sound and all that and and what that really meant to him that was kind of interesting but we also kind of see a little bit more of um i love that they went back and kind of really got into you know what the misfits were really all about supposed to be and how they really want to get a new sound and i was happy for clash because i always felt <laughs> like um, there's an episode that kind of left clash alone and I was glad they kind of revisit that particular piece. But overall, I like they got to a place where it was like they're moving forward. It was all about them all moving forward. And then there's a you know we find out that um, a little bit more about Jerrica's feelings about her father and her family. And it was really fascinating. I actually didn't know her what? real age. I never thought about what her age was until reading this fan fiction. Well, that's a good overview of kind of like the breadth of plot threads that this fanfic tries to introduce in pretty short order. And so why don't we delve into a couple of them? We, we tend to tell the readers just kind of basically what happens, because I don't actually expect them to be reading every reading these fanfics necessarily either, keeping up with us. And so, for example, you were just on The Misfits. Um, and let's talk about that a little bit, because like the main development there is that they, they dump Eric as their manager basically because they think like he doesn't actually i mean well obviously for one thing he's like totally unreliable and probably you know maniacally evil or insane or whatever but also just like he's not really giving them the focus that they want like it's all about the stingers now right 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I think it was mentioned he's kind of like uh, I don't know progressing into what the story considers to be their version of insanity. I guess he's he's just getting really kind of angry and irrational and drinking a lot. Soap opera yeah. insanity. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's mad. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty satisfying scene, though, when, what is it, Pizzazz? Uh, I, 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 I mess up my misfit names. Um, when Pizzazz kind of confronts him and declares that they're going to strike out on their own. And it's kind of a cool scene also. You were talking about like what the misfits are about. And part of what they're about is it feels like kind of self-expression, right? It's like that creative yeah. control that she didn't have under Eric, or it doesn't feel like she has in this fanfic. And so, like, taking it back and just being like, we, the Misfits, are going to make the music that we want to make. Yeah. Right. And it's also a, if you've seen the series, this sort of makes sense um, as far as the tension between Pizzazz and Eric. Uh, She was always pissed off at him. She was always, you know, with always some kind of tension between them. So Pizzazz uh, and the Misfits saying, you know, we're done with Eric. It's a, it makes sense for them to, you know, break away with them, especially since he's concentrating so much uh, time and energy and money on the Stingers. I mean, he even renamed uh, Misfits music, the Stinger, Stinger sound. You saw that in the series and it just, you know, it just makes sense. Yeah, I was gonna say that I uh, I love that she actually talked about like you know everything you did, Eric, was mostly about being back at Jerica, and it was like you brought us into it. We ran along with it, and before we realize it, we're caught up. You know, we were caught up in this w- instead of really getting our music out there. Yeah, it's like everything you kind of expect the characters were thinking, right? But like <laughs> just said out loud. And what's cool, I was gonna say before, the format of this is that it switches narrators it switches it'll it'll say like gem and then it'll be from gem's perspective and then pizzazz will be from her perspective and like it goes through a, a whole roulette of characters <laughs> so you get everyone's like inward thoughts and feelings yeah mm-hmm. the last thing i want to say about pizzazz and kind of like those early plot developments is that i like that it kind of makes her an equal to jerica because she doesn't even pick up a new manager. She says, we're going to self-manage and like make our own decisions here. And that's, you know, what Jerrica is doing, except, um, you know, in a dual identity. Yeah. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of Jerrica, there, it, it spends a lot of time kind of doing her inward, like, emotions and, like, the stresses in her life. And I kind of wanted to ask you, too, because I have not seen nearly as much of, I haven't seen very much of the t- cartoon. Like, how much of the stresses of living this double life are really, like, drawn from the source, and how much of it is this kind of logical extension? Does she feel these things in the cartoon, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at? I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the, you know, the fan fiction really addressed that, because when you look at the overall cartoon, she was always was a lot of stress. She had at first, when it begins, she's dealing with her father's death. You know, trying to make sure the house stays up, you know, the house burns down, making sure all the girls are safe. But then when even when, <laughs> when, 
Well, even when they won everything and, you know, they move into the mansion and what have you, she still had to make sure that the the, the, the girls were okay. She had to make sure they had clothes and food. Um, but also, you know, I had to think about the tour and think about new music and, you know, taking care of her sisters, you know, the rest of the holograms and keeping the secret, keeping Rio happy. And then, you know, and then on top of that, I have to worry about Eric Raymond and the Misfits. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot that you have to <laughs> do on a regular basis. I'm surprised she didn't crack. I know. Y'all, like, I just, I just uh, came into ownership of a house. Admittedly, it was built in, like, 1916, so it's got its issues. But, like, I feel like I'm run ragged just, like, managing the house and, like, the people who live in my house. Like, uh -huh. fixing things. Just, like, she has a giant house, too, but she's got a ton of preteen girls and and a full-time, two full-time careers, essentially. And then the stress of having a secret all of the time. It's nuts, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think... Uh, and the, the fanfic uh, highlighted this a little bit. Um, and also, I think it was somewhat uh, highlighted in the series when they went to Greece for that, uh, I think it was uh, Miss Summer's, oh God, what was that? Uh, Miss Summer's Night Madness, that, that episode, um, where Synergy was trying to help Erica come to terms of who she loved. Well, Jim and Jericho, who, who they loved. And mm. a Synergy uh, form told her to create a whole new identity. And in turn, Synergy did the same as far as being this oracle. And uh, the oracle, or Synergy said something to Jerrica saying that uh, Jim knows how, to fun, knows how to relax and have fun, and you don't. And I think, like, the fanfic kind of went into detail the juxtaposition of Jerrica and Jim and how Jerrica wishes she was more like Jim, but in turn, Jerrica wishes she was more like herself or she's hiding this self from herself. Yeah. I... Yeah, in this fanfic, Rio has a thought at some point when we're from his perspective. And when he's suspicious again that Jerrica and Jim are probably actually the same person somehow, and I understand that, like, you know, that must feel very, very insane to him when he has physically seen them both in the same place sometimes. Uh, but anyway, he he does think that, like, Jem is kind of like what Jerrica should be if she wasn't, like, so, you know, kind of oppressed by her life or, like, you know, if she was able to kind of let herself be a little freer. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, right, I mean, not right, but Rio had already, they alluded to uh, Rio having this thought again, and going back to the series, it was I think it was uh, Broadway Magic when they were in New York, um, being doing this uh, Broadway show. There was a a scene in I guess it was Central Park or some kind of zoo or whatever that Rio actually asked Jerica, "Is it true? Are you and Jerica, are you and Jim the same person?" You know, it cut to like a big commercial or whatnot, but. It was already those things and those thoughts were already there with Rio. And, you know, they said in the fanfic, Jim and Jerrica have the same voice, they have the same eyes, they have the same this and that. And so I don't know why Rio didn't put two and two together in the series, but, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. 
Uh, oh, jeez. Yeah. But one of, the, one of the things this fanfic does do, though, is it goes straight out into like confirming it's that Rio has slept with Jerrica and Jem. Oh, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wasn't ready. Which is just crazy. I, I know. I don't know what to think about that. I mean, first of all, what was Jerrica thinking? Sleeping with him as Jem and not telling. I mean, this is something the fanfic does is like we get Jerrica's perspective first and we get it her thinking like, well, if he could cheat on me with Jem, then he could cheat on me with anyone. And I'm like, yeah, like, I guess in his mind, he was cheating on you, but you know that that happened. Like, so how long has she been carrying this stress? And also, why did she do that? It was intense. There's something about, about, I don't want all of, I don't think Rio should hold all of the blame because Jerrica knew that Jim, that Jim is an extension of her. So you're fooling this guy thinking that he's sleeping with a different woman. Yeah. And him realize, thinking that, oh, I'm cheating on Jerrica, but I really love Jim. And in fact, Jim and Jerrica are the same person. And you're making him doubt what he feels about both women. When in turn, both women is only one person. And like that, that kind of deception. I mean, Jerrica, you only have yourself to blame, especially if you know how this man acts. Going back to the series, Rio has a temper, especially in the Glitter and Gold episode, uh, where he gets involved with Timber's uh, men, saying that he hates liars and he hates deception. I'm like, first of all, Rio, this ain't your fight. Like, <laughs> worry about worry about why you screwing around with two allegedly two different women. Let's worry about that first before you go sticking your nose in Kimber's business. But Jerrica, you knew that Rio has a had an anger issue, and you already did like a simulation uh, in the series in that same episode of how Rio would react with Synergy's help. So, girl, I don't know what you would expect, or, or I just don't know. Yeah, you see, this is where I have to take a step back from this fanfic and from the series proper or like look at it and say well there was a reason in the series they didn't want Rio to know about Jerrica's identity it was to keep that tension right it was mm-hmm. like one of those tv you know things where it's like oh we're never gonna actually reveal that because like that wouldn't keep that that plot thread going right but this fanfic treats it as real like what if this had been going on for all these years and it's it is hard to swallow because if you look at it in a real light, it's like, yeah, like she's been deceptive for years to her love of her life, her partner, and he's you know weirdly cheated on her, but not cheated on her. There's like deception in both parties, and it feels really unhealthy. Well, that's the main <laughs> stress that this fanfic kind of leans into, like with her character, is the stress of having to keep up this deception even among the closest people in her life. And like people like Aja, you know, encourage her. It's like, you really kind of need to resolve this. You can't keep this up. She's at this point, like in the fanfic, she's like losing sleep over it and starting to have even just trouble kind of 
maintaining that facade and forgetting how she's supposed to be responding to like things that are said as Jerrica instead of as Jem or whatever. Yeah. And I like that one of the things, it takes her some time. I, the first couple chapters are so heavily focused on that. I thought the whole thing was going to be kind of Jerrica Rio and that that was what it was going to be focusing on for the whole time. But she kind of has to let it simmer for a while. But there's also just kind of a lot of support coming to her from her sisters and friends. And like, there's like even an intermediary step where she tells her secret to video and dance earlier on as kind of like a step towards uh, being more open about this and, you know, being more able to, to share that, that secret. But I also understand why she was keeping it. I mean, I, I think sometimes we forget that synergy is also a big part of that. Like here, especially at that time, because you have this machine that can do all these amazing things. And probably if anyone said anything or told anyone, I mean, that can really be a dangerous situation. We saw that in the presidential uh, dilemma episode where they had mm -hmm. to be careful with that information being out there because I can imagine the government getting a hold of that. That's a perfect eighties type of movie of this deadly computer. And now the government has it. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's a lot of, I, I can understand why she was keeping it because in a lot of ways, if you don't tell anyone about something like that existing, then there's never a threat of them use that coming back at you. Or if somebody ever gets them and get them to tell the secret, it's a way of avoiding that. If the less people know, the better, I guess. So I understood why she some was still keeping it a secret because synergy is a big deal. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a similar thing to a superhero logic, even though she's not actively, you know, superheroing or anything. But... Yeah, I never thought about it that way. <laughs> Synergy is, like, yeah, intense tech, huh? Yeah. Almost like the whole Peter Parker thing. It was like, the, he didn't want to tell everybody because if people knew who he was, that, put them, that puts them in danger. Um, but it still didn't make sense why she would tell dance and video before she would tell Rio. <laughs> Well, I think it's just less emotionally fraught. I kind of got the emotional logic of it, even though it yeah. doesn't really like help anything in her life. It's like th telling them is not the super, super stressful thing, but it's kind of like a step in the right direction. Yeah, I test her in a way. Right. Yeah. Um, are there any other kind of plot things or, or arcs that are set up in kind of the first half of this fanfic that we want to talk about? Or should we kind of go into the main plot progression from there. Uh, we should, but I just want to mention really quick, something else that they established in the first chapter is going on with Jerrica is that she's having nightmares about her mom. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I don't know if you two got to that episode. I think it was in the third uh, season of the series where they, uh, I think the episode was called Out of the Past, and the holograms are looking for these master tapes um, from Jackie Benton, Kimber and Jerrica's mom, and they, they realize um, Eric has them, and they also find a uh, diary of Emmett Benton, and it kind of outlines, you know, the different, when Aja and Shana kind of came to the foster home kind of outlines uh, the start of Jackie's singing career. And then it also tells 
how Jackie died in a plane crash, which I remember watching that episode when I was little and me, my sisters, my mom and my aunt were all crying, like, <laughs> like heavily crying as if Jackie was uh, a family friend or like a member of the family that died. But that, um, that episode really gave you the foundation of how the series originated. Like it gave you all of this background information that was so necessary. And of course, at the uh, Eric destroys the master tapes, but in the end, the tapes, I think, uh, what was it? Ajo said something uh, in the diary that the tapes were uploaded with the likeness of uh, Jackie and Jackie was also, Synergy was also created with the likeness of Jackie because he couldn't, Eric uh, Emmett said that he couldn't make it like her because the pain of losing her, it would just, be, it would have been too much. So I like that whole continuity of the fanfic that they still acknowledged the events of the series into this continuation of the story. Apropos of nothing, those couple of Gem and the Holograms podcasts that, you know, haven't been active for a few years. One of them was called Gem Jam. Another one was called That Computer is Your Mom. <laughs> um, I like it's like the computer wore tennis shoes, but no, it's, the computer is your mom. But yeah, like <laughs> coming back to this fanfic, that what it does well is is hits all the emotional beats that the series brought up and like develops them. And we get not just Jerrica's story, like I mentioned before, we kind of get a lot of different stories. And going on from here, let's see. Well, plot-wise, it kind of starts leading up to the VTV Music Awards, which I assume are supposed to be the MTV Music Awards, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm assuming. <laughs> I mean, that's what I was assuming. <laughs> I, I didn't know like whether VTV was like a super established thing in the show that like was some other metaphor or whatever. Um, well, I think um, the series was. Um, I think uh, Christy, when we had Christy Marks on the show, she explained that Jim was supposed to go by another name, but it was so much like Madonna, they didn't want to run the risk of any copyright infringement. So, and this was a time when MTV was just getting big too. So that VTV um, was just a play on MTV. And I think they made some more, um, I guess, uh, play on MTV in the series. I can't recall any right now, but you know, you, with the, the music videos, that was a definite um, acknowledgement to MTV and, you know, way back when, when they actually did play music videos. And let's see. In the fanfic, both the Holograms and the Misfits have been nominated for a bunch of really choice awards. And they've also both been invited, and the Stingers, I think, invited to play uh, during the awards. Yes. 
And so there's a lot of movement around there. And we also start kind of like the main antagonistic plot that's going to be happening in the fanfic, which is that Eric starts, he, he's blaming Jerrica for all his problems. Uh, not just Jerrica, but mostly Jerrica. And he starts putting together a, a plot to kidnap her, which is going to involve his like usual goons that he turns to. Oh, wait, doesn't that happen after he uh, exposes her as on stage? Uh, it's, it exposes no, that's her like part of it. He, <laughs> oh, okay. Like, the plan to, like, that's what he's going to have his tech guy do. But then he also right. has his, like, even before that, he contacts his, like, muscle guy about oh, yeah. like, physically oh, kidnapping yeah. her. Um, and that's kind of like the big dramatic action later on. Uh, but you just mentioned like exposing her. Is that, like we we can jump around a little bit. One of the things that happens at the the music awards is that they interfere with the synergy signal briefly because they've like due to earlier snooping, he kind of pieces together that there is some sort of you know machine signal that's making her look like Gem or whatever, and he disrupts it a little bit while she's on stage performing, and it's like for a couple of seconds. <laughs> I remember, like, after that, a lot of the characters are trying to reassure, you know, Jerrica, like, well, no one, no one noticed. I'm sure the crowd didn't notice at all. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, everyone was looking at you. I'm sure everybody noticed. <laughs> it's like a Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake moment, except with the holograms. And he alluded to the fact that, well, in the series, Eric had a picture, um, I think it was mm, the third or fourth episode that the, um, the private, uh, the private investigator, he hired, uh, actually uh, snapped a picture of Synergy, and it had been, it had, was brought up uh, in that episode. It was brought up in uh, the presidential episode that Victor was talking about. Um, that he knew that this this thing was very important, um, and the private eye even said, yeah. I think he said something to the the fact that if you ask me, this Jim and Jericho are the same person. So in like the first four episodes, somebody had already found out Jericho's secret. Hmm. Oh yeah, so that's where that photo comes from that's mentioned. Yeah, that was that. Yeah, that that was very clear at the beginning part, and that's interesting. That I'm glad you brought that up because it was like, mm. but you know, I guess it was like so on the nose, maybe, and. Just couldn't see it. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, you know, Rio's one of the people who sees that, you know, costume disruption. And he's been struggling with, like, you know, he, he's been suspecting more and more something's up with the two of them and kind of not wanting to admit they must be the same person. But it's, that's one of the events that drives eventually Jerrica eventually needing to come clean to him and them talking about that. But before that, we've got a whole, you know, super dramatic like peril storyline should we go into that storyline or is there anything kind of like else music award related or surrounding that that we want to talk about well there's a, a kimber's plot um plot thread is that she's been she became friends with stormer in the series but when the you know, Jerrica gets exposed and is very distraught, Kimber being her sister. She marches in and immediately accuses the misfits of doing it and is is really upset about it. And it kind of 
tear as a hole in her relationship with Stormer. Yeah, that was a good subplot. Yeah, yeah it was very emotional. <laughs> and that's typical Kimber. Kimber was always the... I think she was the youngest of the crowd. So for her, for the fanfic to have Kimber act that way is very on brand. I mean, she was had stormed off in the first few episodes uh, of the series, and you know she was always being a big baby. So her marching down and basically divulging that information almost is is very on brand with her. And it's also very natural, right? Because I mean, if something bad happened to any of the holograms, Occam's razor does say it probably was the misfits. But it's also <laughs> like it's also totally fair that then like Pizzazz is insulted because he's like, well we just call the truce. Like I'm I'm not fucking with you. What who do you think you are? She doesn't get yeah. like super heated about it because she doesn't care that much. But like she is genuinely insulted by that accusation. Yeah. Right. Well, Stormer is the most upset because she and Kimber yeah. were friends and well, she's, of course, yeah, she's the one who really yeah. feels she's something back to Kimber um that also hurts her. But I think it, it is interesting, like Kimber is like the immature one, but I think that was supposed to be because she was younger than than Jerrica. But now I don't know how old Kimber's supposed to be. Would <laughs> she be like twenty or twenty-one? I don't know. She would be, I think she's three years younger than Erica. Cause I, I was looking when they, when they, when they said that she was born in 62. And oh yeah. I made, I just, maybe five or three years because there was an episode when it, um, I can't remember what it was, but when Kim, Kimber mentioned like, yeah, when I was in high school, so she didn't go to college yet, but it talks more about that situation. So I think she is about three years or, Five to three years younger. Mm. Well, you know, we were yeah. all totally emotionally mature at 20 or 21, I'm sure. That's a good point. I was not. <laughs> not so much. I was not either. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably still not. <laughs> I do want to jump in really quick about Clash. I'm glad they kind of um, tied that up a little bit more, um, just because um, I always thought they did her dirty. And there was one particular episode when they kind of played her. It was they tricked her and think that she was going to be a member, and then they took it back at the last minute. So I was glad that they actually brought her in to the group because it only made sense for all the stuff that she ever did for them. I mean, she deserved to be a member. I actually really like the the stuff with Clash. Like it's um, who is it? Who is it? Stormer who drives it's to her. Stormer, apartment? yeah, Stormer. Yeah, of course, of course it is. Yeah. She's the one who cares. Um, but yeah, it's <laughs> this thing where Stormer's driving, and all of a sudden she her thoughts turn to Clash, and before she knows it, she's getting off at Clash's exit, and it's like this, you know, this neighborhood that's you know kind of sketchy, right? And she finally finds Clash in her apartment. And she's she's like, wait, I hear this noise of drums. Oh, shit, that's Clash. She's really good at the drums. And invites her to join the Misfits and like brokers this whole peace thing. I thought it was, I don't know, it was like a very sweet scene. And I felt like I, I could envision 
her driving down the road and like getting off at that exit and what the neighborhood was like, even though they didn't give a ton of description, I just felt very like in her perspective at the moment. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. And that's so such a, a stormer thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Stormer was super endearing in this. And Clash is brought into audition before the rest of the Misfits, and it's kind of really good timing because they're actively searching to change up their sound, and they're all super drunk. And so, you know, they just get into this, like, all-night jam session with, you know, Clash on the drums and kind of, like, feeling, feeling out how they play together. And it's one of those, you know, it's like in a, I don't know, in a super manly kind of story where, like, people get into a, a brawl and then they can respect each other because, like, Oh, you showed your strength or whatever. And, like you're good at fighting. It's like that, except with the music. Where like after that, people like Pizzazz can then like give give Clash some respect because she's shown her music chops. Yeah, I'm glad that that. Right. I'm really happy for that. I I also like that scene too, where the Misfits have a drunken all night jam session because coming from you know kind of tight-knit punk communities. I could really relate. <laughs> it was reminding me of my, my younger days. And Cla Clash also kind of gets to go in in more of an equal position because she's, like, the shine has worn off of her, like, fandom of the Misfits because she kind of knows how terrible they are. And so at least she's not fawning over them anymore either. She's kind of like, yes, I will join your band. Also, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> It feels like a, I guess, okay, misfit dynamic for her to be there then. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I get. Let's let's touch on the main dramatic plot development where Jarek is kidnapped by Eric, and you know everybody's panicked and you know looking for her, and it's it's kind of by the numbers, I'd say, the way that's set up. It's a dramatic sitcom or drama sort of kidnap well not sit not sitcom sorry uh, uh, like drama it's like a drama sort of kidnapping where nothing extremely like physically bad happens there's kind of the specter of sexual assault from eric and you know a whole lot of you know threateningness around and it's all very unpleasant and traumatic but also rio gets to kind of swoop in and be a uh action ish savior sort of now, yeah. Rio already uh, knocked the hell out of Eric one time already. So <laughs> I don't know if Eric was not going to learn his lesson, but, you know, he already had them hands from Rio. Come think of it, before that, there is this, like, Jerrica gets to fight her way. Like, there's this whole back and forth between Jerrica and Eric over control of a gun. And, like, it's, uh, she gets the upper hand on him several times, and it kind of goes back and forth several times. I, I was actually kind of taken aback by like how physical and you know immediate that conf that physical conflict was between the two of them there. Yeah. Well what happens before that is Jerica's unconscious and she has this dream of her mother or synergy who turns into her mother, I think, and then her father. Um and I think in that moment she realizes that like her mother and father's spirits have actually been with her. And that's why she's been having these dreams, which I thought was interesting, but it definitely seems to inspire her to get out of her, uh, I don't know, 
kind of depression, anxiety she's been in and like fight for her life. <laughs> and she's pretty good at it. <laughs> it's an interesting turn of events. Um, you know, going go with the flow of the overall story. And then I was like, okay, Is it, I, I, it was w a little weird for me to see Eric decline that way. Um, maybe it was always there. I just didn't, but I was like, wow, it's, but then when I thought about it, I was like, you know, I guess if you just keep losing and you're losing everything and nothing is working and then you have to find something to blame. It kind of made sense, but it, it was just, so like a clear decline <laughs> of Abrupt, Eric right? Yeah. Happens really fast. <laughs> uh, I, I think that does feel a little bit, you know, in the service of the story. I hear what you're saying. The, the, the kind of like emotional logic kind of makes sense, but it just happens so fast. Yeah. I kind of liked it more when, you know, early on in the fanfic, Riot goes into the offices and is just kind of treating Eric with cheerful disdain, and Eric is just very unhappy about things and drinking during the day. And yeah. that felt a little bit more kind of like a reasonable level of things. But I guess Jam and the Holograms as a story is not about reasonable levels of emotions all the time. True. Because he's been through that before. I think when they, when he did lose Starlight Music, they were, like they went to go find Eric and he was like in a, I don't know if it was like an abandoned building or something like that. He was like, he had stubble. It was like, he was already there, so I felt like he's been here before. But I, maybe this was the break. <laughs> well, I think that that whole event, I don't know how much I have to say about it. Like, it works fine for upping the drama, but then it also is there to kind of lead into, I feel like, the final addressing of Jerrica and Rio's relationship. Because that's one of the things this fanfic wants to shake out, is like, Let's get that secret out and see what we can do with their relationship from there. And, like, Victor or Nick, do one of you want to... Well, Nick, I forget exactly how far you read also, but would one of you like to talk about, like, how you think the fanfic did with reconciling Jerrica and Eric once that gem secret is out? Sorry, sorry, not Jerrica and Eric. Jerrica and Rio, not Jerrica and Eric. There's no reconciliation between Jerrica and Eric. Mm -hmm. Which um, is good. I'm glad they had it, but I felt it was a little rushed. I, I felt like I needed a little bit more time for them to kind of really think it through what was happening. And um, but I but I did like that she did address his anger. That's something that was always a, kind of a joke that people used to make. Like he's always angry. He's always angry. I'm glad she actually mentioned that, um, and they talked through some of that stuff. And as Nick said earlier, they really couldn't be mad at each other because they both were at fault. <laughs> so <laughs> I think you know they looked at they they grew up together. They grew up together since they were teenagers, so they knew each other enough to know that whatever they have was worth saving. Um, I do wish there was a little bit more time about them dealing with that versus this whole, you know, back and forth fighting scene. Um, but I'm glad they kind of wrapped it up to where he kind of understood what was happening, especially when she, I think she read him the diary passages um, to where he could understand what, why she kept the secret and why it was such a big deal at the time. Yeah, it was like the, the scope of it 
was interesting because by the very end, I don't know if we're going to go all the way there yet, but I guess sure. we're pretty much there. He's proposing yeah. to her, but there is a lot of tension in between of they break up, right? And then they get back together, but they get back together, you know, I think as Victor was saying, cause like they realize they love each other and that they both made mistakes. And we can only hope that, yeah, they're, they're going to learn from their mistakes. And, and to be fair, it's kind of all wrapped up in one big thing, which was Jerrica's disguises gem, which is no longer an issue. Right. I, I mean, proposing, they probably should have went to therapy first. Yeah. Because that kind of deception, that kind of, it, it can't be, oh, well, we're going to get married. So the, the marriage is going to negate all of the, the lies and the seat. I mean, girl, no. No. Yeah, talk to somebody <laughs> about it. It has done a lot in fiction, though. And actually, I think it's a really bad model of relationships. It's like, we just reconciled, and now we're getting married. Like, mm -hmm. I guess it's symbolic, but it's like, no, 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 no. That That's not how that should work. <laughs> At all, yes. Yeah, it's kind of backwards. Tori, you mentioned something about kind of the breadth of the fanfic in terms of what it's addressing. One thing we haven't mentioned yet is that, or only in passing maybe, is that Riot is one of the perspective characters in this story. Not all the time, but kind of on and off. Uh, I wasn't sure how much I was supposed to care about Riot, but I, like, also his subplot seems a little bit anemic. Uh, basically, it's not entirely clear. Like, he gets suspicious about Eric and he, and he kind of passes along a warning. It's like, uh, Eric's seeming pretty unstable and uh, blaming you know, you people specifically, and that's, you should probably keep an eye out for that. But then at the end, it kind of morphs into him being concerned about the future of Stinger Sound, you know, previously Misfits Music, because Eric has done all kinds of horrible, shady financial things that has apparently put him way into the red. Yeah, he just seemed like a throwaway. Um, yeah, kind of. I didn't know if I needed to know anything. He, I, I don't think I even needed to know what he was thinking. Um, but yeah, he just seems like, you know, we're going to leave and we're going to do our own thing and blah, blah, blah. But it also made him more of a... He, in the cartoon, I used to think that he really had, you know, some some sense of deepness after the episode about his father and what have you, especially with the fact that we learned that, you know, when they were trying to start up, they was going through hard times as a band. So I was hoping for a little bit more more serious Rio, I mean, not Rio, Riot, but I just feel like he was just kind of a throwaway. It's also just kind of a weird scene with him and the other two members of the Stingers. It's like a sex scene where they're all having sex together, but like the, which, you know, that's not weird, but um, what's weird is his perspective on it is he's sort of thinking of the women as like, um, I know he's sort of infantilizing them, like they're in his care and in his protection. My two little precious things, I have to take care of their feelings. And it felt really uh, kind of gross to me, to be very honest. And it's just after the scene yeah. where he's like, I make the decisions here because I'm just looking out for what's best for you two babies. It, it's all yeah. very paternal. It's kind of weird. Yeah. And I guess that is kind of his character, but still. They kind of highlight that a little bit in the series, not so much in the fanfic, but 
the but once you all explained it and I'm thinking about a few of the scenes from the series and I'm like, yeah, that was a little creepy. And I always imagine Riot, if the show was still on or it was being reimagined, I would imagine Riot on the queer spectrum, like the very least bisexual. Um, and I think that would give his character more, it, it would be more interesting to see how he's trying to navigate his sexuality because he's attracted to Jim, but also kind of realize, oh, maybe I'm attracted to men too. And maybe I'm attracted to Rio. That would have been an interesting uh, plot line, you know, if, like I said, if the show was reimagined, especially in today. Do you feel like that was implied in the show? That he was queer in some way? Um, I know how to, I specifically asked Christy Marks that question. She didn't, she didn't say that it was implied, but she said, yeah, I could see him being uh, bisexual. Mm -hmm. I know in the, um, the comics wasn't uh, Kimber and Stormer a couple? Yeah. I didn't read that. Victor, did you read that? Uh, yeah, they are. They became a couple in the story. Well, one of the things, like when I was reading this fanfic, I had to like pull up people's names on you know the gem wiki and stuff. And they've got all of this like cool, more realistic art, you know, depictions of the characters that was probably on like the toy packaging or something. I'm kind of fascinated by all of it because it's like it's you know more realistic looking, except in that nobody in real life actually looks like characters from Gem and the Holograms. <laughs> um, but it's just like Riot gets to be kind of given that same super loud kind of fashion and appearance that like all the female characters on Gem are in ways that like, you know, Eric and even Rio are definitely not. And well, so because I, he's the only male musician, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, but, but even the characters who aren't technically musicians kind of get that yeah. sometimes. Like video has That's the same art, right? Like, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I guess, I guess video does music videos. So I, 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 yeah, anyway, that's why. But I think that's like just kind of why it feels like, it feels kind of right for Riot to be queer in some way. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would kind of wish they would have pushed that a little bit, but, you know. I want to say they kind of do in the comic, they kind of allude to him in the comics, but I can't remember, it's been a while, but I want to say they do allude that in the comics. I don't remember either. Yeah, you might be right. Um, but anyway, yeah, the point is, I kind of agree that he is, he's a little bit more prominent in the fanfic that, than you would expect, and it doesn't seem to be with a strong purpose. I, I think you're right, Victor. You said, like, there's nothing that you really need his perspective for. Everything that he actually does, you could have just seen from someone else's perspective, and it would have been exactly the same in terms of, like, the story and the character developments and such. Um, he does yeah. end up selling Stinger's music back to uh, Pizzazz. And so, like, she has control over it. And, you know, he plays on her affection for it. He's like, you know you want to own what was previously and can be, again, misfit music, right? Like, you don't want just someone else to snap it up and for it to be, like, used to release who knows what or whatever. 
And she's like, yeah, you got me. I kind of do. And she knows that he he's just exploiting the fact that she has money available through her rich parents. But she's going to do it anyway and like build it up into it. Resolves to build it up into like a powerhouse of the music scene. And so that's kind of cool, I guess. Um, you know, while we're talking about queer characters, this author hooks up video and and uh, dance, even though it doesn't actually like nothing actually happens in the story. It's where just like Jerrica notices, oh, hey, I think those two are a couple. And that's literally the extent of it. Yeah. I, I don't know if I, I wouldn't have to put them together. Yeah, I wouldn't put them together. Yeah. Well, you're not alone, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> They're, aren't they like always together? <laughs> Well, not always, but they show up together a lot. And they're not, like, living, you know, they're not like this, the sisters living at the mansion or anything, right? They, they theoretically are just choosing to spend time together, I guess. Yeah, Dance lives at a, oh, what is that? She lives at a, a different place than a video. Yeah, she, I, th- oh. I thought she... Well, she works at Haven House. So I don't think she, but I, yeah, they're just different. I just never saw that. I was trying to like see it and I was like, maybe Lindsay in video, but not, <laughs> not dance. Dance, I mean, she was caught up with that answer when they, they talk about it a little bit when they talk about a dance mother. But in that episode, she was so caught up in that dude. So, oh, it was, yeah, uh, that episode, yeah. It was kind of hard for me to to buy that. It it did feel the like doesn't spend a lot of time trying to sell you on it either. It's just an incidental yeah. thing I wanted to comment on. Yeah, they just kind of throw it in. Like, oh, okay, well, oh, if you say so. Like, <laughs> it's one of those things. I mean, I was happy because it was you know like a a lesbian romance that like I mm-hmm. feel like there should be more of. Um, in jam, but because there's so many women, and why not? But yeah, I don't know. It was because it was side characters, I guess they felt like they could just do it, which I don't really like. I feel like, and maybe this is the fact that this fanfic was written, what, 2005? Yep. It was the time where people were throwing side characters together in, in gay relationships, but not main characters, right? Like it was the intermediary step. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just to throw them together feels a little, uh, I don't know, uh, superficial, I guess. A little tokeny. Yeah. Well, are there any other kind of plot lines or things in the fanfic proper that anyone wants to discuss in depth before we move on to things to complain about and things that we want to praise about the fanfic? I think we hit a lot. And that's for my. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, in that case, because we want to get our criticism out of the way and end on a good note, we like to go around and talk about things we did, didn't think were done very well or you know, did not appreciate in the fanfic. Um, I guess I kind of already... Uh, we, we, usually we've already brought these things up one way or another. So I guess I'll just mention one more time that like, I don't think Riot really needed to be in here. You could have kept a tighter focus on your perspective characters, just bouncing between our our holograms and misfits characters and the fanfic wouldn't have lost anything except that one creepy sex scene. Yeah. Yeah. The main thing, there's a couple things, but like for, 
I'm just going to pick on one thing to start. The main thing that jumps out is that every time Anthony, is that his name? Um, he, he spends some time with Rio. Um, oh, yeah. He's the only black male character. And he's frequently referred to as the Dark Man or the Ebony Man. And it just... Yeah, it, yeah, it was... I don't know why, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I did notice that. Yeah, the author that, did that a couple times. Right. Yeah, in chapter one, the the reference to Aja also. Um, it's like you know the blue haired Asian girl Asian, or something yeah. like that. Oh yeah, yeah, they do that. A, that was a noticeable early on. Well, that was noticeable because there's accidentally a copy paste. I think of a couple paragraphs, isn't there? And it shows up like twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, the blue dress Asian girl. That one, but because I read it twice, I, both times I was like, uh, I mean. Yeah, it was I, worse the second time. <laughs> never going to call anyone else the pink-haired white lady or whatever. It's, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, no. They, they were really <laughs> attentive to the races of the characters that were not white in a, a strange way. But, all right. It's ignorance, I guess, we'll chalk it up to. I don't know. I, I didn't, yeah, the decline of Eric Raymond was a little, was like, oh, I could have maybe worked on that a little bit more. Um, Riot, I didn't really care much for that. And that's pretty much it. That was my biggest pieces. I know I wish I would have heard from uh, Holograms, Aja, Rhea, and Shayna. The series, I think, appealed to a lot of people because it was multi-ethnic. I mean, you had Aja being Asia, Aja being Chinese, uh, Shayna being Black, and Rhea being uh, Latinx. So maybe have their perspective in it a little bit. I mean, it didn't take away from the story. I think it would have only added the greater detail to see how they view the Jim Jerica Rio relationship and their place around it. Yeah, yeah. The perspectives. I wonder though, does that feel like it kind of aligns with how the show was too? Like their perspectives, it feels like get sidelined a bit in the show as well. Um or no, am I wrong? Because y'all would know more. I mean, sometimes I mean, there's some episodes that are dedicated to um, a an Aja uh, plot, or uh, there's an episode where a lot of it is a uh, Shayna, um, or when they find Rhea after Shayna leaves the group for a while. I don't know. Did y'all know that that uh, there was a time where. Shayna went to go design for another person and they were left with nobody to play the drums. So they had a, uh, a contest and Rhea won the contest, but in her winning the contest, there was a, a part of the episode where Rhea found out that uh, Jim was really Jericho. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew that she left the group briefly just from glancing at the wiki, you know, when I was reading this fanfic, but she comes back eventually, right? Yeah, uh, Shayna does come back. Because um, once you're a gem girl, you're never the same. Oh, well, that is true. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's my take on it, I guess. <laughs> I, I hear you. I kind of practically forgot that you know the other holograms existed. Like Aja gets some stuff to do, especially early on. But by partway through the fanfic, it's like, oh yeah, the holograms. They're uh, Jem, Aja, Kimber. Like the other, that is just like are barely appearing at all. And you're right, it is kind of noticeable. Yeah. It, yeah, especially, especially because we get this these different perspectives, right? You'd expect at some point we get a point of view from the other holograms, but we just don't. They're kind of. And a, it would have been nice to hear from Rhea since she's she didn't grow up with them at all. I would love to have heard a little bit more how she feels about all of this. Their holograms yeah, sort of merge into a supportive girlfriend collective a little bit. Yeah. yeah. It was a Aja does get point of view moments, but yeah. she's also just a lot of her point of view moments are being really protective of Jerrica, and that's kind of her only character beat. Well, why don't we transition then into what we want to praise about the fanfic? Or sorry, Nick, was I cutting you off from something? I was just going to say that uh, the whole protective uh, Aja, I would say that is. Um, a similar plot plot line in the the series because we see her in a lot of those protective roles when it comes to Jim, Jerica, and the other holograms. Well, yeah. hearing you talk about things like that, I think, um, in terms of praise. I'm hearing from you two who are like real hardcore gem fans in a way I'm definitely not. And I kind of had the sense that the characterization was good, but it sounds like overall, with a couple of exceptions, the characterization's really good from hearing you two kind of praise like, oh, you feel like the way this character acted was really on point or this character or, you know, pretty much most of the characters. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it follows the ending of the the series pretty fluidly in my opinion i mean aside from being you know damn near a non-factor um I, I would agree that the the thread of each character and how they would act in whatever scenario is pretty uh on point yeah, I agree. It, it was very on point. Um, it was good. I mean, it, I I finished it um, quickly just because it was like, okay, I'm I'm going through it because I wanted to know more and I like the different perspectives they did give us. So yeah, I, the 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 author did a good job of really giving us these characters or giving us characters that we very familiar with. Yeah, it's like um, I don't know. We come across this in fan fiction sometimes. We're like. There's sometimes things, like I mentioned before, I wish the author had given, you know, characters more moments or, like, gone a little deeper into things. But at the same time, like, totally, I think it somewhat fits the show. Um, it kind of has a similar plotline to what you would imagine the show could have, but just with a little more intensity and, I don't know, I guess adult themes, but just 
I don't know, a deeper dive into the characters, I suppose. Not as much as I want, but enough to be true to who they are. I'd also relatedly like to praise the writing, which for the most part is like solid writing that doesn't get in the way, which can be just as good as like, you know, elaborate writing that makes you go like, wow, that writing is so great. But I think one of the things it does definitely also is that it's switching between characters and it manages, I feel like, to get their perspective, like their individual perspective kind of conveyed well without dramatically changing the writing in kind of a distracting way. So it flows pretty well when you're like reading a Rio section and then you're reading a Kimber section and you kind of feel how they're a little different, but it, it feels like it's not overdone either. It's kind of deftly handled, I thought. Agreed. Yeah. It kind of achieved what it wanted to do, I definitely think. Any other praise on our way out? I like the, um, the detail that they gave the Jim, Jerica, Rio relationship. It was, it's one thing to see that in the series and when you're growing up, it's a whole different, it takes on a whole new, new take when, you know, you've been around the block a few times and you see how how much an agony Jerica is, but she can't tell Rio. That whole dynamic of that whole relationship is really interesting to see it as the continuation of the story that you already know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think they found the emotional core there that, you know, it feels very different in prose than in a 80s children's cartoon, for sure. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, there are some very strong moments. Like I mentioned before, when Stormer is driving to see Clash, I felt like I was in the scene. There's also, like, I don't know, strong moments where Jerrica or Kimber are thinking about their folks passing, where I was just breaking down into tears because it was so real. Um, I think the There's author, like, the prose doesn't get in the way, but when it's talking about something emotional, the emotion is really strongly there. Mm -hmm. I agree. There's that part where Jerrica has been kidnapped and they don't know where she is or whether she's okay. And you get Kimber's perspective on that back, you know, at like the music awards or after party or whatever, wherever they're at exactly there. And she's like, she knows this feeling of, oh no, I've just lost another one of my loved ones. Because mm. she's gone through it several times. And it's like, oh shit, that's, yeah. that's yeah. rough. That was one of the there. moments where I was tearing up. Because, <laughs> like, I know what that feels like. Like, if you lose enough people, you just start, like, any time, like, you get scared all the time. Like, something's, you're going to lose someone else, I guess. And it, it felt very real to me. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that was our discussion. This was episode 106 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. Our Time Is Now by Aja, uh, the author, not the character. And I'd like to clarify, I'd been saying 2005 for when this was released, but it was finished 2005. It was started 2002. So the author did, you know, write it over the course of a few years. Um, I'm sure everyone cares deeply about that, but I, I thought I'd put that on the record. <laughs> No, it makes it more retro that way, so. Right. You know, zero to three years more retro than I thought. 
<laughs> Nick and Victor, thanks so much again for coming on. Could you tell us again where to find your podcast online? Sure. Uh, you can find Magazine. We are on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Spotify. Uh, we're on Twitter at Magazine One. We also have a website, uh, podoftheshine.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Megasheen. Uh, if you want to uh, send us, ask us any questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at megasheen6 at gmail.com. Um, I think that's, that's it. That, yeah. That's pretty much it. Well, wonderful. Cool. Yeah, well, y'all have been great. We were super glad to have you. We were excited, and thank you so much for having us. Thanks so much for coming on and and choosing this fanfic. I think there was a lot to talk about in a kind of post-series continuation that was trying to, like, do all kinds of different plot threads. Um, And so I'm kind of happy, and then we chose this one. You know, the, the reason I chose this one is only because I think that episode where uh, Jim had left with a riot, they do a song called Now. So I'm like, okay. And I could have saw, saw that as the ending of the series. So this kind of just made sense. <laughs> <laughs> I think your instincts were good. Yeah. I would know, so. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of songs, I will lead us out on, you know, our closing information, that our podcast's intro song is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our podcast is edited by Dom Davis. And you can find it at our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com, or we've got a shorter link at bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you want to contact us for whatever reason, like comments, questions, or thoughts about the episode or fan fiction in general, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or I guess Facebook. Not that I check Facebook ever, but I, I think like we get a message, right? You can find us on those places at RetroFanfic. Um, you can find us on Reddit at Fanfic Retrospective, or you can send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. You can also leave comments or reviews or whatever on whatever podcast service you use to listen to us. We're based out of Podbean. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Nick. I'm Victor. We're just four Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other and achieve fashion and fame. Until next time, <laughs> take care. I, I feel like there should be a theme song. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, I, I only rewatched a little bit of Jam, you know, like a couple episodes, but I have both theme songs stuck in my head now. I know, I was literally like... <laughs>